we are ourselves mm-hmm. dealing and healing. Absolutely. And because we're dealing and healing, we can support other people. Right. And because we support other people, we have to be dealing and healing, right? Right. So you don't, there, well, I say that because there's, there is, there is no a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There is no having arrived. There is no perfection in this. There is a constant work in progress and different things are going to trigger people. You're a high achiever on paper and through the eyes of others. You've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at karengoldfingerbaker.com. Today in the Trauma Hiders Club, we have a wonderful guest, Giovanna Caposa. Giovanna is a functional medicine practitioner certified in mind-body therapy, and she's a dear friend. Giovanna provides a truly holistic approach to personal development, mental health, and chronic illness. Listeners, this conversation has it all. It's a deep conversation. It goes from the depths to uproarious laughter and a whole lot of love. I think you'll really enjoy this one if you enjoy a gut punch and a hug every other minute. No, really. It's it's a joy. Giovanna, for some, this conversation has the potential to be one of the most uncomfortable conversations they've ever experienced. Uh, Yeah. Why did you say yes to Trauma Hiders Club and why now? I love being uncomfortable. No, (laughs) that's a lie. (laughs) I think it's important. I've been on my own uh, journey of trauma healing um, some known and some unknown for God, what feels like my half my life. And I think it's important. It's an important conversation to have. And and if it means getting uncomfortable, then I don't mind getting uncomfortable for that conversation. Yeah. I mean, I know you're no stranger to discomfort. I know you're no stranger to vulnerable conversations. What do you think makes you someone who has that openness? Hmm. That's a really good question. I think for me, if I, if I'm really honest, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And what I mean by that is I think I realized really early on that there were no uncomfortable conversations having going on in my house Mm -hmm. or with my friends or with anyone around me. And for the most part that made things generally pretty superficial and stuck. 
And I knew that, you know, as I started getting into personal development and like really at the age of 19, I, I sought out my first spiritual mentor. I learned very quickly that getting uncomfortable was the only way to go deep. And it was the only way to really access what needed to be accessed. And I remember very early on the, the constant, I wouldn't say critique, but the constant comments I would get from my mentors and my teachers were, um, you have a vulnerability problem. You're afraid to be vulnerable. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, who wants to be vulnerable? Like I, I had a misconception of what that word meant. And I'm still working on that, but boy, have I come a long way because, you know, having the difficult conversations and being willing to sit there in your vulnerability, I think just makes you stronger and, you know, works that muscle. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. I, I think it had anyone asked me 10 years ago, if I'm willing to have a quote unquote, uncomfortable conversation, sit with my discomfort, be vulnerable. I would have been like, hell yeah, I'm in. And for me, there were so many layers that where I'm going to show you what I show you, which might be more or more ballsy than other people. But the truth is there is so much that I'm going to insulate and keep away from you that you will never know, but you're going to think I'm playing vulnerably. Oh yeah. I totally know that one. Like that's, I'm a pro at that. That's right. Yeah. Totally. That's what we do. Yeah. That's how you protect. That's how you, exactly. you know, self-preservation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's interesting when I, I think this has come to me before, but when you were just speaking about discomfort, it occurred to me that it's so ironic that as we play with sitting with the discomfort in the end, I think once we're doing the work, working on our healing, we get to the point where it's like, oh, wait a minute. All of that stuff that I wasn't talking about was actually the discomfort. And now I am in comfort, in peace. Totally. Yeah. Because I think that what you said earlier, you can fool others, you can fool yourself too, right? Into this like facade of like, I'm fine, right? The, the F word. But I think, you know, going back to your original question of what had me want to get uncomfortable it's because your waking experience reality you know has become in and of itself so uncomfortable or so unbearable that there is no choice but to go deeper and but to go inside and and you're right once you go there and you think that's the thing i've been avoiding my whole life like god i just addressed it and now i'm like free it's like geez i should have done that years ago <laughs> right 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 it's that god we play so many fun games with ourselves don't we mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> yeah so Giovanna, tell me and share with our listeners what is it that you call yourself professionally you know what's funny is every time somebody asks me that, I think of I think of that um, the Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino, and he yeah, says, yeah. "I've got so many names." <laughs> <laughs> I always think about that. So, I have been in mind body healing and mind body wellness in some form or another since, as I mentioned, I was 19 years old. I just turned 45. Um, and I think I would call myself a guide, a coach, an advocate you know, now a co-founder of a mind body wellness company, mm -hmm. mostly like a seeker. Like I I've been a seeker myself. And I think that's why I get so passionate about this topic because I, 
I have seen what it's like to be stuck and suffer. And, you know, I'm way, way farther than I was, but I'm still not where I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. And I want to, I feel really passionate about helping people along that way. So yeah, I've got so many names, Karen, but like, yeah, I would say a guy to coach, definitely an advocate. I get really fired up about yeah. this stuff. <laughs> yeah. So like a health advocate? Yeah, health advocate, mostly for not just mental health, but wellness in general, which yeah. to me is the mind and the body, right? We, we can't compartmentalize health. And even, you know, having been in alternative medicine since 2006, I had a clinical practice for eight years. Even there, where it's supposed to be, quote unquote, holistic, you get these silos of practitioners and you get people really, you know, focusing on one area and just compartmentalizing the person. Mm-hmm. And never really addressing the whole person. Hmm, beautiful. Mm-hmm. And for the sake of this conversation, right? This is Trauma Hiders Club. Where does the, I'm asking a question and like judging myself for it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I've had some experience in this area, but I'm going to let you, the pro, mm-hmm. talk about this. For the sake of Trauma Hiders Club and this conversation around normalizing trauma, along with whatever it is, you know, wherever we're going to go, is there an effect? Does trauma have an effect on our systems? Oh, yeah. Hormones, our health. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, now there's so many studies and so much research happening on people who experienced either early childhood trauma or significant trauma in their lives um, that have chronic health conditions. Uh, A lot of professionals will uh, link back things like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and a lot of autoimmune diseases back to trauma. In fact, any most, I would say, chronic conditions can be linked back to some form of trauma or another. And some traumas we know, and a lot of them we don't. Mm. You mean some traumas as humans, we're aware that we have and some that we're not, or we don't know what the impact is? Well, both, right? So we've we've had, we can register uh, trauma and we can say, yes, you know, I totally remember this childhood experience happened to me, or I completely remember that you know, car accident that happened or, you know, for our veterans, like they were literally in a war zone situation Mm -hmm. and that is a trauma. And for many people, they don't actually associate or register in their minds that they could possibly have trauma because sometimes our trauma has happened, you know, pre-verbal. It could happen and register through, you know, before we started the recording, I gave you an example of a, an old patient of mine I had years ago uh, who was coming to see me and she, in her system, her, her little system, uh, when she was a tiny little girl was traumatized by, she got into a fight with her mom. Her mom ripped her dolly out of her hands and she threw the dolly into the incinerator in front of her, you know, and that dolly for her was her little baby, right? She was, uh, God knows like four or five, six years old. And people listening might think, Oh, that's not a trauma. That's like, you know, a kid thing. But a trauma is anything that your nervous system registers as overwhelm, right? Mm -hmm. It's anything in the story that overwhelms your nervous system. So if it overwhelms your nervous system, if it overwhelms your neurocircuitry, it is registered as a trauma. And so a lot of people are walking around with these 
you know, I don't want to say micro or macro traumas, but these traumas, let's Mm -hmm. say that are not registered and they don't realize that they're actually having potential physical effects on their body. So there is a whole, whole body of research and and study right now that is linking the mind and the body and they, they can't be separate. There's a direct link. Yeah. If we've all lived through, let's just say the trauma of a pandemic, right? A global traumatic event. What, (laughs) like, I have so many questions, but the one that's coming (laughs) up is like, what the fuck, what now? Um, But I'll ask a a more laser focused question. Um, And that laser focused question is the following. What happens if we leave this unchecked? That's such a good question. I mean, the amount of clients that are coming to me right now with this, I've even had former clients reach out to me and say, oh my God, I've loved the lockdowns and I'm terrified for things to open up again. Like it's all manner, like different versions of the spectrum. And, you know, we've all had to deal with it. And so one thing I would say to people is be aware of trauma responses. So for example, having a short fuse, losing your temper more often or disproportionately to what is happening, excessive fatigue, sadness, depression, lack of motivation. Really, we're looking at fight, flight, or freeze, which can, which, and there's also fawn, right? But fight, flight, or freeze, the main three. And if you're exhibiting any of those, right? If you're finding yourself in a funk or you're finding yourself you know, getting angry or like, if, I mean, if you're me, I've like gone woo up the roller coaster of all of those, right? Be aware of that. And if it feels like you have to process, which a lot of us are going to have to, because this, I mean, we've never experienced this before. I, I keep saying, if I hear the word unprecedented one more time, I'm mm-hmm. going to scream, but it is unprecedented times. And so we don't know how, how to deal with this, especially like kids that have just you know, like my kids here, they've rolled with the punches. They've kind of, they've seemed okay, but, but are they right? Like, so check in with your kids, check in with yourself. And it's going to take a little while, I think. And most of us have pretty resilient nervous systems and we'll probably get through this. Okay. However, if you're noticing that you are stuck in any kind of stress response, get help. I mean, even if you, you know, one or two therapy sessions would do wonders, you know, having a coach, a mentor, somebody, I mean, just even talking about it with your friends, again, that vulnerability, that, that uncomfortable conversation is sometimes not at the top of our list. However, that could totally instigate some massive healing and surrender and like letting go around this. And of course, life, hopefully getting back to normal is going to create a lot of healing around this as well. Yeah. For me, um, I've told myself this story that it's, you know, summer's upon us. The, we just here in the States had the unofficial start of summer with Memorial Day and that somehow things are going to change. And yet there's this part of me, and perhaps this is a trauma response for me. There's the hypervigilant Karen who doesn't always trust. And so the hypervigilant Karen in me, which is funny. Hypervigilant Karen is probably (laughs) like being made fun of all over the place. That hypervigilant Karen does not want to see the manager. Hyper, this hypervigilant Karen (laughs) 
in the back of my mind, I don't believe that we are truly in a place in terms of the pandemic where something new isn't going to crop up and we're all just fooling ourselves. Uh, That's my story where I'm like, huh? Like yeah. the drug sniffer dog in me doesn't truly believe that this is actually, we're in a good place because how can we be? Right. And that's happening. That's I'm, I've been experiencing, or I was experiencing that as well. Like, you know, typically uh, sans pandemic, I'm, you know, even in difficult times, I, I tend to find the rainbow, right. Mm-hmm. I tend to find the optimism. I I'm hopeful. And I, I, there was a period of time actually until very recently that I completely lost that. And every time someone would say to me, Oh, you know, it's okay because um, you know, lockdown is going to end and then this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And my response was like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Right. I just became the same way. Like, I don't believe it because we've had the rug pulled out from under us and we've been teased with, oh, it's it's over. Oh, no, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Or, you know, here's, here's uh, you know, some life-saving medicine. And then, oh, well, not everyone can get it. And right. then, you know, so it's like, there's all these like stipulations. And so it, it's really tough to deal with that. And I, if I... I'm going to tell you flat, if I did not have my homeopath who I work with, mm. who is a, is a call, I guess, a former colleague of mine, I'm not a practicing homeopath anymore, but she was also my teacher when I was in homeopathic college. If it wasn't for her treating me and my therapist, I don't know how I would have gotten through this last year and a half. In fact, yeah. it's, it's been a scraping to, to, to get that done. Right. Cause obviously finances were affected for a lot of people during mm-hmm. this pandemic. And I just imagine all the people who are not as privileged mm-hmm. to even be able to scrape together what they need to, to go and see a therapist or a homeopath or, or someone that can help them with that, you know, mind, body coping and healing. It, it saddens me because a lot of people are not going to come out of this unscathed. I don't know if scathed is the opposite of unscathed. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say it is, Karen. (laughs) Yes, but for the sake of this conversation, it is. And I think we're scathed. Bottom line. Yeah, Yeah, I think we're scathed. And the good news is there are resources out there and you are one of them. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. As are you, as are you. And, and I think, and I just want to also pin that, like for everyone listening, we are ourselves mm-hmm. dealing and healing. Absolutely. And because we're dealing and healing, we can support other people. Right. And because we support other people, we have to be dealing and healing. Right. Right. So you don't, there, well, I say that because there's, there is, there is no a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. There is no having arrived. There is no perfection in this. There is a constant work in progress and different things are going to trigger people yeah. in different ways. Right. Right. Absolutely. So tell me about, as someone who has, who has experienced childhood trauma and only recently did I learn that I also have PTSD. I never knew that about myself until I started doing some oh. deep trauma therapy. By the way, I only thought that was something that veterans had. So, right. yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Does PTSD have an effect on our adrenal, hormonal, other systems? And if so, what can we do about it? What do you do about it? 
Oh, such a good question. Okay. So if we even take it out of the realm of PTSD, mm -hmm. which is, you know, complex and intense and we can experience PTSD. There's, there's now complex PTSD, right? right? Which is something that develops uh, over, let's say, chronic longstanding trauma, right? Whereas like you mentioned, veterans uh, experience PTSD over an event. Even if we take it out of the realm of that and we, and we just use the word stressed, right? When we have a stressor happened to us, whether it happened you know, 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago, you know, 10 days ago, we can often re continue reliving that stress. We get, we get stuck in that state. And as a result of getting stuck in that state, your, your brain doesn't actually know the difference between actual stress and perceived stress. And so as we are, you know, in the case of PTSD, continuing to relive a stress or stressor, right? Mentally, we can get stuck. We can get stuck there. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, because the brain doesn't know the difference between an actual, you know, saber tooth tiger in front of you versus a fake one, it'll release all of the hormones and all the neurotransmitters and all the chemicals that it needs to, to either fight, flight, or freeze. So if we, again, take it out of the PTSD realm and just think about chronic stress, right? which is a very kind of diluted way of talking about PTSD or complex PTSD, right? It's a chronic stress to the system. If you think about your, your brain and therefore your endocrine system, your hormonal system, that then starts to produce all of these chemicals, these stress chemicals on a constant basis. So you talked about your hypervigilance, right? Hypervigilance is your brain saying, where's the next danger? Where is it coming from? Am I ready for it? You know, what's going to happen next? And that means you have adrenaline and cortisol and all of these hormones pumping through your body that can eventually, you know, to put it simply, exhaust the system. When I talked about earlier chronic conditions like, you know, chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia, things of that nature, which I've dealt with personally and am dealing with, those are actually you know, they postulate that they're disorders of the, the mitochondria. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. It's the, it's the part of the cell that makes ATP, which is energy, right? And those literally, we get exhausted at the cellular level from trauma. Mm. And so when we think about, you know, treating trauma or a stress, right? Or any, anything in that realm of the, of the mental health sphere, we can't not address the biochemistry and the body because we can do talk therapy. We can do regression. You know, we can do EDMR. There's like, there's so much somatic experiencing. There's so many therapies out there for the mind. And yet if we're not supporting the body and the cells of the body and the stress response of the body and the hormones of the body, you can only get so far with your healing. Same, like if you flip it, if you're dealing with a chronic illness, and you're only treating the physical body and not diving a little deeper into if there is sort of a mental emotional component here or maybe some trauma known or unknown, then you're never going to fully heal. And so this is, again, like we cannot compartmentalize the mind and the body separate. Yeah. So feel that. I, th I think maybe I had shared this with you, Giovanna, that I didn't realize until I started doing some healing work that I have spent pretty much the va vast majority of my life 
being exhausted, even oh. as a, even as a kid, I didn't realize that like, well, for one, my abuse started in the dark at night. So I, I think, I don't know if, and if one can sleep with one eye open, but I know the feeling of being exhausted because I've spent the vast majority of my life being exhausted. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if like you actually can sleep with one eye open, but I have felt like that's how I've slept since I was 10 years old. Yeah. That's the hypervigilance, right? And how how many, how many, how much of that, you know, like you said, was unconscious. And for people listening now, you know, fatigue, chronic fatigue, whether it's an actual diagnosis of, of ME, uh, CFS, or just CFS, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Chronic, just being tired all the time. If you think about the amount of energy that it required your little self and then your medium self and then your big self to be hypervigilant all the time, to just, you know, watch your surroundings, to not fully rest and sleep at night and surrender into sleep because you don't know what's around the corner. Of course, of course, of course, of course, you're exhausted. And then you're, our bodies are amazing. Our bodies can cope with ridiculous conditions. So your body coped your whole life with being exhausted and tired. And it's not until you experience the contrast that you can say, oh my gosh, look how tired I was. And now I've just freed up, literally freed up energy in my system. And I've never slept so well. Oh, I love hearing that. That's yeah. So Although right now I need way more sleep. However, when I sleep, I'm you, starting, you <laughs> I really, I wake, I don't wake up tired. And um, on occasion, I even remember my dreams. Like that's new for me. Mm. I know that some people say like, you know, if you're not remembering your dreams, you're really in a deep sleep. I actually don't. For me, I don't believe that's what was happening. Actually, if you're not remembering your dreams, you're probably B6 deficient and you should probably put some B6 into your body. (laughs) Well, I am. (laughs) I happen to be that. Yes. There you go. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Look at that. People, if you're not remembering your dreams, you need B6. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Take it in a B complex. (laughs) Take it in a B complex. Yes. There you go. If you take nothing else away from this, you've just gotten some sleep advice. <laughs> it, yeah, so this it's really remarkable how, like not even knowing that I was in a hypervigilant state until it was pointed out to me, under, you know, not sleeping, being exhausted since 10 years old, once I exactly freed up the space, now I can sleep. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so helpful. What do you imagine someone or me or you or our listeners, um, if they've experienced trauma, what do you what would you do first if suddenly you're awakening to, oh wait, this is I get that like healing my mind is a thing. What would be the first thing someone should, even if it's taking one simple step? toward their wellness, their body wellness, what would, what should they do? Mm, For their physical body. For their physical body. Always consult a professional. What kind? Somebody that's trauma informed and someone who understands how to deal with like longstanding chronic 
you know, trauma or conditions on the body. Um, and if you're not already working with, uh, and so sorry, that would be like a functional medicine practitioner, even, uh, you know, certain holistic nutritionists are, are trauma informed now. And from the physical point of view, I would say, find someone that can work with you functionally. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of MDs that are now practicing as functional medicine doctors. And so that's the physical side of things. And then obviously, you know, find a psychotherapist, find someone that can help you with that side of things. And if they can talk to each other and they, and they can actually have a conversation and, you know, be in cahoots, that would even, that would be even better because then they can really, really help you. Yeah. And I would say Karen too, uh, because I mentioned my homeopath, find a homeopath. Um, homeopathy is very little, little known and very little talked about. And unfortunately, has gone to beating uh, a lot from pharmaceutical companies. You know, it's everything from it's, it's, it's nothing, it's placebo, it doesn't work to it could be dangerous. And it's like, well, which is it? It's placebo or it could be dangerous. But it's, it's truly one of the last vestiges of real mind-body medicine around because in taking the prescription and I'm sorry, finding the prescription and taking a case, I'd rather, of the person, you are looking at the mind, the body, you know, the energy, all of that in order to find a prescription that will match the person's state of being and slightly push and move their, their vital life force, their vitality into wellness. And I have to tell you, like I, to be having a difficult conversation and being vulnerable, my mental state took a, took a shift about, I would say a month ago, maybe I can't, I can't remember now. I didn't realize it at the time because of course we don't, right? We just cope. We just deal. What's the next thing? Okay, just get it done, right? And I had something go down that I didn't realize at the time affected me. And then what happened is it kind of snowballed. And I started just feeling bad, like not like myself. I was angry all the time. I was I was depressed. I was hopeless. I just just, you know, just in a funk of all funks. And of course, you know, I waited too long because just like the shoemaker with the broken shoes, I waited too long and I finally did call my homeopath and, you know, turns out that my, my state had changed, my state of being, my state of thinking and mental health had, had changed. And so we tweaked the prescription a little bit and uh, she changed the remedy that I was on. And with, I'm talking within hours of taking it, like the cloud that was over me was washed away. I could see clearly my mood changed. I felt positive. And today for the first time in probably weeks, I was in the car and I was singing along to the radio and I didn't, I didn't notice that I stopped doing that again, contrast. Right. And today I was like singing along and happy. Uh, love and it. Thought, there I am. There I am. Yeah. So yeah. Practitioners, I would say, find a classical homeopath, find a functional medicine practitioner. If you find someone that does both fantastic, a coach, a therapist. Yeah. Just to to provide a sense of a foundation of knowledge, tell us what a homeopath is and tell us what a functional medicine doctor is. Good question. So a functional medicine doctor is literally, um, functional medicine is this great buzzword that's happening right now. It's, it's really just a fancy word for saying root cause. Mm. So a functional medicine practitioner or a functional medicine doctor uh, functional medicine nutritionist, anything functional medicine is really someone that is looking for the root cause 
of what ails you. So they're not stopping at just addressing your physical symptom, you know, of like, oh, I have indigestion. So here's something to help your digestion. That's just superficial. They dig deeper to find out what is actually the causing factor to what's going on with you. So they look for root causes. A homeopath is somebody who similarly looks for root causes, but they look for root causes in your mental, emotional sphere and in your energetic sphere. And what I mean by that is usually when as homeopaths, we take a case and if let's say you came in and you said, well, I've had this, you know, I'm coming in for headaches and it's like, well, I haven't had, didn't have headaches my whole life. And it's like, I just started getting them like five years ago and they're really bad. It's like, our first question is what happened five years ago? And usually people say, well, nothing. I don't know. I just had a headache. I'm like, no, no, no. What was happening in your life five years ago? And that's usually when people say, oh, like my brother got really sick and this happened and that happened. It's like, oh, okay. So a homeopath's job is to not, again, not address just the upfront symptom, but to actually get a picture of the entire person. So in homeopathy, we say we don't treat the disease. We treat the person. So how do you, like, I, w- I would ask questions like, how do you cope with stress? How do you handle stress? What, happen- what happens to you when, you know, X, Y, Z happens? What triggers you? Why does it trigger you? You know, what, what's your, what are your greatest dreams and your desires? What stops you from getting there? It's really like, I have to say, Karen, practicing homeopathy and learning homeopathy. And to a large part, when you're in school, learning uh, homeopathic medicine, you're also learning a lot of psychology. Mm-hmm. It's actually what helped me become a coach. Ah. because I have to look at the whole person and how they're experiencing their life, including what their false perception of their Mm -hmm. world is, which we all have one. And so a homeopath looks at all of this. Your first, you know, case taking is usually two hours, sometimes more. And they look at all these factors and they will prescribe a remedy, which are the medicines that we prescribe and they are plant animal or mineral based. And those are meant to mimic the state of being that you're in to almost trick or push the body back into wellness. I'll give you an example of this. It's really easy for people to hear and understand what happens when you peel an onion. You cry. You cry. You might get a sniffly nose, definitely watery eyes, right? One of the most common remedies for allergies, hay fever, is made from the red onion. Hmm. Like cures like. That's the first principle of homeopathy. So we would give a remedy made from the red onion because it causes those same symptoms that you're experiencing. Essentially, it's like two of those same energies can't exist and they kind of poof, eradicate themselves. And that's how we do it. So when, I mean, obviously that's a really simple kind of example of, you know, just for people to understand how the remedies are prescribed. But again, this is more of that root cause healing the psyche kind of medicine rather than just healing the asthma or the eczema or the whatever, right? It's it's more of getting down to the nut of it. Yeah, that's really cool. I had never heard that red onion mm, uh, yeah. bit. Yeah, that's really cool. So I'm I'm curious about you. Why why do you choose this path? You know, I think we choose the path because ultimately we're trying to fix ourselves. I was a really young kid who struggled with body image Mm. and my weight. Mm. I didn't realize until I was much older and started studying trauma that growing up in a house with two screaming parents constantly was a trauma. 
I didn't realize that being bullied incessantly for five years through elementary school was a trauma. And so I had all of these things going on and I was a very sensitive child. I was very sensitive and empathic and I took on a lot of stuff. Mm. My parents uprooted us and, you know, moved us to Italy when I was really young and bounced us around and it didn't work out. And then we moved back to Canada and there was a lot of things that happened kind of in short order. And I was always very sensitive and very emotional. Mm. Part of the reason that I started doing this work, again, at a very young age, at 19, is because one of my outlets was spirituality. Yeah. So from a really, I always say I'm a recovering Catholic because I never really practiced Catholicism, but I was always very spiritual. And at a really young age, because my three older sisters are very much older than me, seven, 12, and 15 years. I grew up very much like an only child. And so I spent a lot of alone time with my thoughts and I always sought out something bigger than myself to comfort myself because I knew God bless my parents. They're, you know, they were, they were emotionally immature. They didn't Mm -hmm. know they weren't raised with any of this. They, they were raised by other broken parents. Yes. (laughs) So going to them for emotional support was out of the question. So I had to raise myself in that way. And so I think that's why at a really young age, I, I, I was, you know, I was reading books like, you know, the Celestine prophecy. Mm-hmm. And I was picking up these books about life after death. And I was um, curious about natural healing. And I, I wanted to understand my body. I wanted to understand why it was that, you know, I was in a bigger body, whereas my cousin or my friends or somebody around me was in a smaller body. Like I didn't understand. I, I had this thirst for understanding the mechanics of that. And so I think like all of us that are in this, you know, healing profession of coaching or anything around that is we start off and I definitely started off with a desire to heal myself, Mm. to be better. And then as I learned things and improved, I just got excited and I just had to tell everybody. (laughs) so yeah yeah oh I love that I love that there was a lot that I was relating to as you were relaying your story my story took a different I would say the other fork in the road is that I was kind of also like dabbling in spirituality in yeah I suppose like after I got fascinated in like after death experiences or near death experiences or kind of whatever. Yeah. Whatever I could read about like having some kind of power Uh that didn't seem like it was available to everyone else. Yeah. Um, And maybe that was part of me feeling a part, a part and not a part of everyone else, but a part from everyone else that maybe there was some other worldliness about me. I mean, this could have been my own hysteria or this is definitely, this definitely was a trauma effect. So where my, where my fork was in your story is I didn't want to share it with anyone. This deeper knowledge that I was consuming, I didn't want to share with anyone because I had a fear that it would make me even more different. Oh, yes. Well, uh, let me, let me actually uh, explain. Yeah. I didn't didn't share it with anyone until I was way older. I see. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't actually start sharing until I think I was about, 
I think in my mid twenties, I decided or or late twenties, rather, I decided I would go back to school and learn some of the health stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's when I went to school and I became a holistic nutritionist. And then I did some other courses and then kind of in short order after that, I became a homeopath and I started to share more and more about that stuff then. So I was like probably late twenties, early thirties in terms of the spiritual side though. Oh gosh. I didn't come out of that closet until I was probably close to 40. Ah. And again, out of, out of necessity, because I went through another trauma and, and I, I had, I was brought to my knees again, as they say, and I, I had to find something to self-soothe and mm-hmm. to and to regulate myself. And that's what I knew to do because I did it as a child. And at that time, because it then I, I think it woke something else up in me and I, because I was more mature, it made sense in a different way. That's when I very, very, very <laughs> trepidatiously started talking about spirituality, like online and on my channels and like to my clients a bit, but no, that took a while. Yeah. No, as a kid, I the same thing as you. I'm like, I, people are going to think I'm nuts. And right. none of my peers were doing into this stuff that I knew of. So. Yeah. Interesting. I, it just came to me that one of the things um, my mom had often said about me and probably maybe, I mean, she's 84 now. I'm not sure she would say this. She always said I was a weird kid. <laughs> So, (laughs) so I certainly wasn't running out to say, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with God in a way, but I'm obsessed with, and and I was obsessed with God in the, in a way of if God is watching, then God knows what a filthy piece of shit I am because I'm tainted. Right. Oh yeah. So that kind of became my obsession, you know, I, I was, I was hearing in religious school, right. Um, God is always there. God is always with you. God can see. And for me, I was like, Oh fuck. God knows that God is me, my abuser and God are in this thing. Uh, (sighs) Yeah. And that's, that resonates with me also because I sunk into a really deep depression and I think it was seventh grade. Mm. I didn't realize it at the time that it was triggered by my best friend moving away. Um, in fact, nobody did. Right. But I, I remembered, it's funny because I was in religion class when I suddenly had this immense, just cloud of guilt come over me. And what I now know, because I, you know, I did some work around it and worked through it is that all of my previously unresolved, you know, trauma of being uprooted and bullied and all the stuff, you know, got re-triggered when my best friend moved away because she, when she was the only solace I had at that school from the bullies. Mm. And so that all got re-triggered. And what I did as a result of hearing the same message as you were around religion and God was I, I turned it on myself that I must be bad and I must not be a good person. And, and I went, I, I think it lasted like a month or two. And like, I, I, if I would have, if I would have allowed my parents to bring me to a psychologist, which I fought tooth and nail because I was so afraid to be diagnosed as at the time crazy. Mm-hmm. Now I kick myself. Cause I thought 
you know, if I would have done that, if I would have right. professional, <laughs> I, you know, I, I would have saved myself so much money in adulthood. Right. But at the time I fought tooth and nail. I was like, no, I don't want to go. They're going to say I'm crazy. But I was clinically depressed for probably mm. like, I would say a month. Wow. It felt like an eternity, but I, I remember not going and missing school for, you know, a week or two. And, and it was the same thing. And so there's this, there's, there was this love, hate kind of relationship with religion and, and spirituality, because on the one hand, it was the promoter of guilt. And you and I have talked about this before, how like, there's nothing like the Catholics and the Jews for putting right. guilt on their children. Right. <laughs> it's just, we got it, we got it down. And then having to like, you know, become a grown up about that and realize and, and have a different relationship with God. And when I finally, I was in my mid, like I said, late thirties and I realized, you know, I've been having this weird relationship with God my whole life where, you know, he or she is kind of standing there, you know, arms crossed, tapping their foot saying anytime now, anytime you want me to jump in, I, I come here. And I've been going, no, nah, I got it. I'm good. I got it. Right. I'm good. I got it. And it's like, what? Like, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah. So, so it, it's definitely evolved and, and matured and and I have to tell you in this year and a half or however long it's been of pandemic pandemonium, mm -hmm. a lot of that left, you know, I, I, I was, it was hard. Faith was hard. Mm. And my spiritual practices of just, you know, sitting in silence and, and praying or just faith, just faith that it, we're going to be brought through this was going and went for, for a large part of that year. Mm. And how are you doing with that now? It's coming back. It's okay. definitely coming back. It's funny. Like I, I go back to this homeopathic remedy because I swear, I don't know where I'd be if it wasn't for her, but it's just the window uh, that I had shut that was full of mud and soapy and gross mm -hmm. and just gunky is clearing up. And my connection to myself feels stronger. And therefore my, you know, my connection to God, goddess, whatever you want mm -hmm. to call it. Yeah. Feels there and and I feel more positive about whatever happens in the world like I'm going to be okay. And that's and that's I think what everybody wants to feel. I think everyone just wants to know whether you believe in God or not is that am I going to be okay? Are my loved ones going to be okay? Will we be able to get through this? And nobody knows for sure anything, but if you can feel positive at least or have some hope that that will happen that's the best thing. When, when hope is lost, I think that's when we go down just the ugly, awful, deep hole. Yeah. Yeah. And when we can't find the hope in ourselves, that's absolutely when support, whatever that support looks like, whether it's turning to a reliable, capable friend or family member, or turning to a professional. That's so important. So, so important. Okay, so I'm curious, what has been most useful for you in being here in the Trauma Hiders Club? You know what I loved about this, Karen, is that you've asked me questions that have brought me back to I guess, pieces that I don't normally talk about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've talked about them with my therapist ad nauseum, but <laughs> that, I don't, that I don't normally talk about. 
And I, I like that. And the pleasant surprise of it, even though we started with the whole, you know, uncomfortable conversation, the pleasant surprise is that none of it was uncomfortable. Mm. It felt really good. It felt like, I mean, you are an old friend, but it also, it just felt like being in the hands of an old friend. And, and again, when I think when you're able to talk about this stuff that was once so difficult, I think that's also a sign of improvement. Yeah. Or it's not the emotional attachment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like to call that healing more than improvement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. Healing. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. And what are you most excited about in your world? What do you want? What do you want listeners to know? Ooh, I love it. Okay. Mm -hmm. On a personal level, I'm really excited because please God go all, all goes well. I talked to my editor yesterday, my book love well will be launched in November. Nice this year. So that's exciting. And that's, uh, you know, my journey from being lovesick and codependent to finding healthy love. So that's going to be exciting for me. Um, so by the way, cool. that's really exciting for me too, because <laughs> I have experienced Giovanna from being lovesick to being love. Well, <laughs> Mm, you have. I have. You I have. Yes. So that's that's so great. Well, you're gonna get a copy. You're definitely getting an advanced copy. Ooh. So personally, that's that's really exciting. And then you know, professionally, obviously, you know, doing my personal work with my with my coaching clients around those topics of healing, that relational stuff. And I just launched, you know, because I, you know, this is how I roll, Karen. Mm-hmm. A, a pandemic starts, and I'm like, let's launch a new business. So I I launched a new business early 2020. It's a digital wellness center. So we service around the world. And our primary focus is exactly what you and I have talked about this whole podcast. It's mind body healing. So that's uh, bluehivehealth.com. And we have several signature programs that are around mind body healing. The one, uh, imagine our bestseller has been the stress and anxiety relief journey. Love this it. Year. And so that's uh, a new baby. And, and we have a podcast that goes along with that called the Blue Hive Healthcast. And so, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great. It's a roller coaster of a year, personally, professionally, physically, financially, mentally, like all the things. Yeah. And so it's exciting, hopefully to be, hopefully seeing down the light, the end end of the tunnel. (laughs) Love it. Thank you for launching Blue Hive Health. And I think it's important to note that I mean, I have an insider secret to Blue Hive Health and not only as a client, but as a friend of yours. And what I know about you is that this is built with a foundation of love because it's you and your niece. It is. And I mean, how amazing is that? It is amazing because yeah. we're we're partners in business, but we love each other. And, yeah. and she's, you know, she's only seven years younger than me. So she's always been like a little sister. Right. So it's wonderful uh, to do this with her together. Yeah. Love that. I, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, Blue Hive Health has, when I'm paying attention to my health, <laughs> <laughs> has been very important in my life and Something to note is as healed and evolved as I think I am, 
my human patterns will always and always have, I don't know that they always will in the future, but I know for now that my track record is that my base habits will arise. Although Giovanna and I have dug deeply into my health and I've spent both time and money, I have also let my, you know, my bad habits come up. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yes. Very human. Very, very human of us. Look at us go. Human. And we get to choose each day. So yes. we, we even have an appointment on the calendar to get my shit together. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. And and I think that's really a great thing to say is because yeah. we are human and it doesn't matter. I think I had someone years ago, I don't know who it was now. And I was, I was talking about something and I said, oh yeah, my, my coach and like my therapist and blah, blah, blah. And they said, you have a coach, you have a therapist. And I was like, yeah, like, so I think it's great that you just said that because we're, we're human. Yes. We all need support. And as much as I, I mean, sometimes I think knowing too much is also not good, but as much as I know about the human body and what I need, I don't always follow my advice. I mean, you know, the, what we're calling it the quarantine 15. Like, I think mine was the quarantine 25. I got some work to do, you know, so we've, we've, we're human. Yes. And that's absolutely. important to know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I look, I have a lifetime of sabotaging and fucking myself over. So <laughs> it's only new <laughs> to learn that that doesn't have to be my default nature. So yeah, yeah. yeah there's all that on that note. So where can listeners find you? I, I know you referenced the website, but let's just say it again. Where can listeners find you? So you can find me personally on Instagram at Giovanna underscore Caposa or at GiovannaCaposa.com. And you can find Blue Hive Health at BlueHiveHealth.com or Blue Hive Health on Instagram as well and Twitter and all the places. Beautiful. Wonderful. Thank you, Karen. This was Thank awesome. You. Loved having you here. And... Thanks for showing up and being you. Thank you. This was great. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.